Well, good morning. It is great to be with you all this morning. Give me a minute just to open up and find my place. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open that up to Matthew, the 28th chapter. We're going to start there in verse 18 in just a minute. A passage that is very familiar, probably one most of us uh, could even say by heart if we wanted to, uh, but I hope we'll get some new and fresh things uh, out of that this morning. Uh, it is great to be with you. I was supposed to be with you earlier in the month, and then poor James got one of those 12.30, well actually it was 1 o'clock in the morning phone calls, uh, saying that I could not be here. I was unfortunately taken ill and uh, couldn't be here, uh, but it is great to be with you this morning. And uh, since James has kind of talked a little bit about who I am and what I do, I want to say a very quick uh, thank you to you as Bay St. Louis uh, First Baptist Church. Y'all have helped start that new BSU ministry at USM Golf Park. Y'all are one of the churches that stepped up and said, yeah, we'll, we'll provide lunches for that and, and, and help that ministry as it just starts to get off the ground. And we're looking forward to our, our second year there and looking forward to, to continuing work at the Gulf Coast Community College campuses. I am at the Perkinston campus, but we also have buildings and full-time staff during the school year at uh, the Jefferson Davis and Jackson County campuses. And that work uh, would not happen without the partnership of our local associations and our local churches uh, who support that ministry and make it possible. Because of that generosity, as we speak, we're still in, let me see, it's July 17th. We have 13 students out around the world today who gave up their summer break to be BSU summer missionaries. And so they said that they would give up their summer to go and share the gospel across the United States and even across the world. They're serving as near as Gulfport, uh, which you may know where that is. You may have heard of it. Uh, and they're serving as far as Cambodia and Malaysia this year. Uh, so uh, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, we, we're proud of them. It's an amazing thing that, that, that we get to do. And very often, when I tell people what it is I do, when I tell folks what it is I do, they usually ask, uh, okay, you're a BSU director, I get that, but maybe they aren't Baptist, or maybe they, they, they you know, weren't involved in BSU, or there wasn't a BSU at their college, and they say, well, what is it exactly that you do? And my normal joking answer is, well, I miss out on a lot of sleep. Uh, but uh, the truth is, what I do is I work to make college students into disciples that make Disciples. In fact, that's, that's our, our mantra, that's our motto at uh, the Gulf Coast BSU, be disciples that make disciples. And that thought, being disciples that make disciples, that's what's going to inform our time as we look at the Great Commission together. Let's start reading in verse 18 and then we'll pray together. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father God, in the next few moments, I pray that you would get me out of the way because I don't have anything to say worth hearing. But your word has great truth, it has great power. And it is not just historical fact, but it is living and active. It can impact our lives today. I pray that you will open your word up to us as, as we uh, seek to hear from you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
And so there are a few things I want us to see here as we are looking at Jesus, sort of his last instructions to the disciples before he ascends back into heaven. And, and the, the, this commission, this command that he gives them to go and make disciples. And the first thing I want us to see is that a disciple recognizes Christ's authority. Look back with me at verse 18. Then Jesus came to them, that's, that's the 11 apostles that, that, that are left, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, a lot of times we approach this first verse, we approach verse 18 as what I call a feel-good verse. And this is just something that I've, I've kind of made up for certain verses. But, but when I say it's a feel-good verse, what I mean is uh, we read that Jesus has all the authority in heaven and on earth, and it makes us feel good, doesn't it? Because it's encouraging to us to know that uh, even though we live in a world that is oftentimes chaotic, that, that, that it seems like there's so much evil in, that so many things seem to be going wrong, it does our hearts good to know that Jesus ultimately is in control. His will is sovereign. He has the authority. And we take inspiration from that, and it warms our heart, and it encourages us. Uh, you know, we treat John 3.16 very much the same way. We hear God loves us, that he sent his son to save us. And it encourages us, and it inspires us, and it warms our hearts. But there's a danger in treating this as a feel-good verse, and it's this. When we treat it as a feel-good verse, we take away the inspiration, but we miss the application of the verse. And I think the application for verse 18 is this. If Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, then doesn't it follow, wouldn't it make sense that he would have the authority in my life and in your life if we belong to him? Let me ask you something. Quick theology quiz. I used to hate pop theology quizzes in seminary. If you're a Christian, does heaven and, heaven and earth pretty much describe everywhere you're ever going to be? Anybody have plans to be anywhere else? No. Okay, the answer, was, the answer was no, okay? If you said no, you passed your theology quiz. But that's right. And if Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, that's the only place we're ever going to be. It seems to me, and I say that jokingly, but really it seems to me that Jesus should hold ultimate authority in our lives. Now, most of us as Christians would say, well, Stephen, I understand that. I mean, that's, that's first grade Sunday school. I, I, I get that. Jesus is, is in charge. His, his will is, 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 mine should be humble to his. He's Lord. That's what it means. He calls the shots. He gives the commands. I know Jesus has the authority. But you see, there's a difference between knowing someone has the authority and recognizing someone's authority and letting that shape how you live your life. Let me put it to you like this. How many of you drove here this morning? How many of you drove? Should be most of you. Some of you still may. It's the 8 o'clock service. Some of you still wondering how you got here this morning. But, but if you drove here this morning, you have in your wallet, in your purse, a driver's license, right? And you got that driver's license because you took a test that says you know how to drive. You know the rules to driving, right? Okay. So we know that there are rules. But sometimes, sometimes we're running a little bit late, and the speed limit sign is really just a suggestion anyway. It's more of a guideline than a rule, right? So maybe, all right, I'm already seeing smiles, so some of you sped to get here this morning. 
So, so maybe we're, we're in a hurry, you know, we got caught up at the house, or we were late leaving the office, and so maybe we're going a little faster than what the speed limit sign says. But it's okay, it's just this once, we would never do this on a regular basis. So, so, and we know there's a speed limit, but still, we're, we're, we're going to go a little faster. And we know we shouldn't be on our cell phone while we're driving, right? We know we shouldn't be distracted. But, you know, we're trying to get some work done. Everything's gone wrong at the office. We're trying to get the kids from school. And so we're on our cell phone trying to, trying to make all that happen while we're driving along. And, and now we're breaking the speed limit and we're on our phone. And we know that there's a seatbelt law in Mississippi. But, you know, we're not going that far. It's just a couple of blocks. It's you know, we've been down that road a thousand times before. Nothing could ever happen to us. So maybe we don't have the seatbelt on, you know, or maybe we even have the radio station on and, and we're, we're just going down the road and we know that there are rules to driving. But we're not really living by those rules, are we? Then, you look up in your rearview mirror and right behind you, practically on your bumper, is a Mississippi State Patrolman. Then what do you do? You say, I've got to go, and you turn off the phone and throw it into the passenger seat, right? Getting the, getting the phone as far from you as possible. You let off the gas so that the car will coast back down to the speed limit. You don't hit your brakes, right? Because if you hit your brakes, then he'll know you're speeding. So you let, let off the gas so that the car will coast back down to the speed limit. You do the slow reach. You know the one I'm talking about, the slow reach, where you reach across and you grab the seatbelt and you slowly pull it back across so that the state patrolman somehow from his car all the way back there doesn't see you reach across and grab your seatbelt and him know that you weren't wearing a seatbelt? And then you turn the radio down. Have you ever noticed that whenever you're getting pulled over or whenever there's a cop right behind you, you turn the radio down for some reason? Like if he doesn't like your choice of music, then, you know, if he was in a country mood that day and you have it on classic rock, he's going to pull you over? Now, it's a silly example, I, I admit, but it's one we can all relate to. But what was the difference in the way we were driving in the first example versus the second? In the first example, we knew there were rules. We knew someone had authority to tell us how to drive. In the second example, we recognized that state patrolman's authority to pull us over. We recognized his authority on how we drive. And you see, when we go from simply knowing Jesus should have the authority in our lives to recognizing his authority in our lives, what happens is we get rid of the things that distract us. We obey the commands and the rules. And we're going to steer our lives according to his will, not ours. That's what it means to recognize Christ's authority. And if we're going to be a disciple, we have to recognize Christ's authority here. And it's no wonder that right after making this statement, saying all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, it's no wonder that Jesus then gives the disciples a command. Look what he says after this. It's the second thing I want you to see. A disciple recognizes Christ's authority, and a disciple makes new disciples. Look what happens in verse 19. Look at it. Therefore, because I have all authority in heaven and earth, since I have all authority in heaven and earth, go and make disciples of all nations. There's a twofold command here. There's go, 
and there's make disciples of all nations. We know there's a twofold command because there's two verbs. I know, I'm sorry, I'm taking you back to high school English when they made you diagram sentences, but it's important for us to understand what's happening here. Now, uh, we're going to look at both parts of this command. The first, go. Now, we have not known each other very long, but, but you all have already impressed me as a very intelligent audience. I'm going to assume that you understand that when Jesus says go, what Jesus wants you to do is go. Okay? I've heard great, great pastors, great preachers give whole sermons about what it means to go and what it looks like and what the original Greek means and all that. But I'm going to trust that you understand when Jesus tells you to go, Jesus wants you to go. And I've got good news. For most of us, we already do this part of the command. Think about it. If you have kids, what did you tell them when you got them up this morning? What did you say? It's time to go to church, right? And we do go to church. Many of us tomorrow when we wake up are going to go where? We're going to go to work. I'm sorry to bring it up, but it's going to happen every Monday without fail. And we go to work. Or maybe we go to school. Or we go to the ball field. Or we go to the grocery store. We go to the family reunion. We go and we go and we go in life, don't we? We all have places that we go. And can I tell you something about every single place you ever go? I don't care where it is. Wherever you go, there are lost people that need to be made into disciples. It's not a question of are we going to go for most of us. The question is, are we going to be intentional when we go about making disciples out of the lost people we encounter in our lives, in our families, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our community? So I don't think go is where we have a a hang-up. I think the hang-up comes with the second part. Jesus doesn't just say go. The second part of the command is, and make disciples of all nations. Now, there's, there's, there's usually two whole hang-ups here. Two things that, that people say, well, wait a minute, Stephen, I don't know if that's for me. Uh, the first is the make disciples. A lot of people come uh, look at that and say, well, Stephen, wait a minute, that's making disciples is what you do as a minister. It's what James does. It's what, uh, it, that's what pastors do. That They make disciples. You all are the professional disciple-makers. And first off, I'm not sure how professional any minister really is. Uh, but that's not what we actually are called to do. And if you don't believe me, believe the Apostle Paul and flip over to Ephesians uh, chapter 4 and read verse 12, and what you're going to read is that God gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be preachers and teachers, so that they may equip the saints to do good works. As a professional minister, I'm not called to be a professional disciple maker. I'm called to be an equipper. So that you can go out and make disciples. Now, don't get me wrong. I do try to make disciples. That is part of my, 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 my ministry. But I don't make disciples because I'm a minister. I make disciples because I am a disciple. And by the way, in case you're wondering if discipleship is for you, if you're a Christian, discipleship is for you. That's what you signed up for. Now, a lot of people also have a problem with the last part of this, the of all nations. And they see that and they say, well, wait a minute, Stephen. God, 
God hasn't called me to be an international missionary. I'm not called to go to Nigeria or to Russia or or, or anywhere like that. I'm not called to go around the world. We have folks that do that, and I'm grateful for them, and we support them, but that's not for me. Well, first off, I want you to stop and think for a minute. If we're going to make disciples of all nations, wouldn't it make sense for us to start by making disciples in our nation in fact, in Acts 1.8, when Jesus is giving a very similar command that Luke recalls there, what does he tell them to do? He says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. Jesus didn't start off by saying, you guys hop over to the Tel Aviv airport and hop on a plane and get to America as soon as you can. He started off by having them make disciples at home. And Christian. If we're going to make disciples of all nations, we need to work at making disciples right here at home. Because that's where it starts. Just as a little side note, because of the year we're in and the season we're in, I think a lot of the problems we bemoan as Christians in society probably wouldn't be there if we were better at making disciples. If we took this command more seriously. Just to throw that out there. And by the way, while we're talking about making disciples of all nations... Can I also make a suggestion? Just because God hasn't called you to Africa or South America or Europe doesn't mean he won't one day. And when he does, will you recognize his authority and obey this command to go and make disciples? So, we see that a disciple recognizes Christ's authority. We see that a disciple makes new disciples. They go and they make disciples of all nations. And you may be saying, all right, Stephen, I see that if I'm a Christian, I need to recognize Christ's authority. I see clearly Christ gives this command to go and make disciples. What do I do with it? How how do I carry that out? How does it work? Well, that's the last thing I want you to see in this passage. Jesus gives you the answer. It's found in verses 19 and 20. We're going to see that a disciple actively ministers. Look what happens here in verse 19 and 20. After he says, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Just like there was a twofold command to go and make disciples, there's a twofold command that shows us how we make disciples. And, and there's two parts to it. Uh, the, the, there's, a, there's an element of salvation here, and there's an element of education. And I know salvation is much more exciting than education, but, but don't let that word scare you. We'll get there in a minute. But salvation, look what he says. It's symbolized here by baptism, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, we know as Baptists that that it's not the actual baptism that's saving anyone. That just represents the decision that they have made to give their heart and life to Christ. And it's that decision that saves them. But uh, this is where the disciple-making process begins. This is where a lifetime of discipleship begins. And by the way, that's a confusion we need to, we need to lose. Is so many times, don't we see somebody get baptized? We see someone get saved? And don't we think that's the end of the process? Don't we think that's the end of the discipleship? That's the end of the work? Well, if Jesus is right, and I'm going to go ahead and spoil it for you, Jesus is right. If you don't believe Jesus is right, you have very strange habits as far as how you spend your Sunday mornings. But if Jesus is right, salvation is not the end of the discipleship process. Salvation is the beginning. 
of the discipleship process. Now, now Stephen, how can we bring about salvation? God saves people uh, through the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross, through the calling and convicting of the Holy Spirit. That's how people get saved. Yes, but it is for us to take that message of what Jesus did on the cross. It's for us to take God's word, to take the gospel, and to take our own story of what Christ has done in our lives to the lost people in our lives, to our lost family members, our lost friends, our lost co-workers. This is where we're out there sharing our testimony, saying, hey, let me tell you about this guy named Jesus and the difference he made in our lives. So we see the element of salvation. But I also want us to see the element of education because this is important. This is important. Now, I know if you're like me and for you, school was a chore. For you, school was just the thing they made you do between summers. That, that's how I grew up. You hear that word education and you're like, oh, Stephen, I don't know if I like that. But look what Jesus says here in verse 20. Teaching them, that's those new disciples, that next generation of Christians teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, that's really loaded because there's a few things we need to understand here. First off, for the disciples to teach everything that Christ commanded, what would they have to do? They'd have to be a student. In fact, disciple means learner in Greek, so good for you. A for the day. They would have to know Jesus' commands, wouldn't they? To teach all of them. But more than know them, they would also have to live them out, wouldn't they? Because do, do you realize that when these disciples were told the Great Commission, it was not written down in front of them? You realize that the Bible, the, way, the, way, the, the fullness of it that we have now, hadn't all been written yet? So how, what was the best way for them to remember all those things. Think about all that's written in the Gospels that Jesus taught and commanded. What was the best way for them to remember those teachings? It was to live them. And Christian, if we're going to teach new disciples, new believers, everything that Christ has commanded us, we're going to need to live them. One, because it demonstrates. But two, it's authenticity. Who wants a teacher who doesn't live by their teachings? I'll use an example from real life. I'm not going to say names, though, because I, I think that um, my family still knows this gentleman. In my hometown, way back in Mansfield, Georgia, well, he actually worked out of Covington, uh, there was a doctor who was a cardiologist. You know, he worked on the heart and the vascular system, right? Now, I always kind of chuckled at that fact for this. This doctor was about my height and was probably a little over 300 pounds, and was a chain smoker. Now, for most of us, when we're picking a cardiologist, when we walk through, walk through the front door of the office and the cardiologist, who is a little overweight and is smoking outside the front door, says, yeah, go in, the nurse will seat you, and I'll be in in a minute. Most of us are probably going to start thinking about a new cardiologist, aren't we? Christian, similarly, when we teach Christ's commands, but live our lives a different way, we're giving that same sort of image to, what, to the lost person we're trying to reach or to the new disciple that we're trying to, to train up in how they should act and how they should live. 
know it, and live it. And then watch it spread. Let me ask you one more thing. If the disciples went out and taught this second generation of Christians, which we see this in the book of Acts, by the way. If you want to see how it goes, it's to be continued. Luke tells us what happens. What were they eventually going to teach that second generation of disciples, that second generation of Christians? They were going to teach them the Great Commission, weren't they? And then what would that generation of Christians go out and do? They would go out and make new disciples, teach them everything Jesus had commanded, and then teach them the Great Commission, which commanded them to go and make new disciples. So that group of Christians would go and make new disciples. And then that group of Christians would go and make new disciples. Do you see what Jesus' plan was for the church and for his kingdom to spread across the world and down through history? It was disciples making disciples making disciples. And by the way, I bet you sit here this morning because somewhere a disciple shared the gospel with you. This is the plan for the church to grow. For Bay St. Louis, yes, but for the church across the world. That disciples will go and make disciples. So what do we see? A disciple recognizes Christ's authority. A disciple makes new disciples, and a disciple actively ministers. Let's pray together.